Hey, thank you, worship team. Good morning, New Hope. Hope everybody's doing well. Good to see you all and be together. And it's December 1st. It's hard to believe, right? It is December officially and the place looks great and Christmas is around the corner. And it's a, it is a special time of year. It's an exciting uh, time of year. But, you know, it's important also to call out that it's, it's, not, it's not exciting necessarily for everybody. That we, we approach the holiday season really in different places, don't we? And for some of us, things are going great in life. And for others of us, things are really hard. And uh, here at New Hope, we just want to acknowledge that there's, there's some of us here that um, we're missing a loved one, we're going through something hard, and uh, in light of all of that, that we're in different places, I want to take a few minutes and talk about and invite you to, really, what's on my right and your left, the Tree of Hope, the Blue Tree. We did this last year, and the Tree of Hope is a place that you can come and a, and a way to engage uh, based on where you're at this, this Christmas season. There's a couple of things that you can do at the tree, and certainly when this service is over, I want to invite you to come over and be a part of that. The first is that we have, and you'll see some bulbs on the tree. We have several bulbs over there. And, and uh, for those of you who have lost a loved one and you've had to say goodbye far too soon to somebody that you miss, and, and this Christmas doesn't quite feel the same without them, uh, you have a chance to go up and, and take a bulb and you can write a name of a loved one. You can fill out five or ten bulbs. It's totally up to you and, and hang those on the tree. And those are going to stay up here at New Hope the entire Christmas season, just a way to honor and to remember those that we've lost that we love. There's also another thing you can do as well. I have an example right here, and we have these, these prayer cards over there. And uh, on the back side, you can take a, a moment and fill out a prayer request that you have. And I know we have that on the connection card, but, but this one's a little bit different. And here's how this one works. You, you fill out your prayer request, and you can sign your name or leave it anonymous. It's totally up to you. You fold it with the ribbon through it, hang it on the tree, and somebody else here this morning, and I want to encourage all of you as well to come up if you don't want to fill out a prayer request, certainly to take one, to know that this Christmas season, somebody will take your prayer request and will pray for you. Here it is, December 1st, pray for you through the entire Christmas season. This is really important because it's, it's the way to communicate that you're not alone, that you have somebody that wants to support you and love you. And if you put your name and email or phone number, they'll even reach out to you and just let them know that you're praying for them. But, but, but to know that we're a family and a community, nobody should, should struggle or grieve or feel loss all by themselves. And so this is a way to know that you could be prayed for and then for you to pray for somebody else. And so in that regard, this is really for all of us to go and to engage. We also have over there lots of different resources for you. As you think about the holiday season, it just feels tough and you're like, I don't even know how to get through it. There's resources, there's ideas. We even have a gift for you as well that you can take home to help you through the Christmas season. So again, the Tree of Hope is for you, it's for us, and it just calls out the reality of the holiday season. It is the most wonderful time of year, and sometimes it's not. But as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we can all come to a place where we support each other and love each other, and the Tree of Hope helps to accomplish that. So again, when the service is over, please feel free and know you're invited to head over uh, to that. Okay, if you'd grab your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. We are in the Old Testament book there, and table of contents is useful. If you're wondering where in the world Malachi is, don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. On the screen behind, you can follow along and, uh, and track what we're going to be talking about uh, today as we look at uh, this interesting scriptures, really. Now, if you've been following along, or if this is new for you, Malachi, just to set the stage, is the last book of the Old Testament. And Malachi, we've been talking about it or comparing it as a family meeting. 
Remember those growing up, maybe when you were a kid or maybe as an adult or parent, you've called a few family meetings yourself. It's where, where something isn't quite right and so you want to pull everybody together. Usually you go to the living room and mom and dad or mom or dad sits down with the kids and says, look, we're just going to talk about some things. There's some things we've got to get sorted out and make sure we're all on the same page so we can move forward together. And Malachi, in many ways, is like a family meeting. It's God the Father who calls this gathering, if you will, with his children, the nation of Israel. And he's got some things that he wants to talk with them about. And if you've been following along, you know they're hard things. They're really, really challenging things. In fact, if I've heard more than one comment say, like, Malachi is really hard-hitting. It is, absolutely. And we're not done. Today's going to be in a, a few more rounds, if you will, in, in this book here as we kind of go through this. There's a second purpose for Malachi. And these are the last words from God the Father before he goes silent. Remember, this is the last book of the Old Testament. And so when we finish Malachi next Sunday and we finish up chapter 4, those last words that we'll read together next Sunday are the last words in the Old Testament. And then God is silent for 400 years. The next time God speaks is going to be Christmas. It's going to be the coming of Jesus and so part of Malachi is to prepare our hearts. Part of Malachi is, is for God to prepare the Israelites to say, look, a Savior is coming. The Messiah is coming. Be prepared. Be on the lookout for him as he's, as he's coming. And this is for you and I to prepare our hearts as well. We want to make sure our hearts are ready to celebrate Christmas as we should. Now, as we think about Christmas, there's a couple things that typically are on our minds the most. And not just Christmas time, really, it's all year round. If you have a bulletin on the back side, here's your first fill in the blank. This is, these are the things that we tend to think about at Christmas. We tend to think about relationships, and we tend to think about resources, don't we? Those are the two things that tend to consume our minds the most. Now, as a way to, to illustrate this, now... Um, we all know what this is, a wallet, right? Now, these will probably go away in a couple years, so enjoy them while you have them because your phone can do pretty much everything this can do. But nonetheless, we, we, we have these wallets, and what do wallets do? Obviously, they carry your cash, they carry uh, um, your credit cards. And uh, back in the day, I don't know if they still do it back uh, now, but back in the day, if you guys remember, they would carry coins too. And so you could shove all your coins in there, and your wallet would get like all thick, like George Costanza's big, right? Because all his money in there. You know what else they did, if you remember? They carried pictures, who remembers that? The, the pictures, right? You have the two-by-threes. Nobody, yeah, we're aging ourselves there. So you've got the pictures in there, and, and, and you'd have, you'd have the, the, those that you loved and care about were in your wallet. In fact, if you were important to somebody, you made the wallet, if you will. You were in their wallet. And the wallet captures this idea, resources, relationships. This is what we think about. And when we get to the Christmas season, it is... It's so easy, isn't it, to, to worry and to stress about relationships. And it's so easy to worry and to stress about resources, isn't it? God the Father, in Malachi, the passage we're going to look at today, he, he's going to talk to Israel, and he's going to say some challenging things to Israel. And it's all going to be on the topic of relationships and resources. And what's interesting is these are the exact same two things we're still talking about 2,000 years later. They're the same things we're still worrying about and stressing about 2,000 years later. This is going to be for us. This is going to be so applicable, uh, hopefully encouraging, as well as challenging this morning. So hopefully you found Malachi, and we're going to be, of course, in chapter 3, as I mentioned, we're going to pick up in verse 6, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. And what God's going to do here, we're going to talk about relationships first, and then we're going to talk about resources second. So join me, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. God's speaking. He says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. 
Now, now, God says here something about his character. He says, look, I don't change. Now, if you're at a Christmas party and you want to impress your friends with how smart you are, you can, the, the fancy word is immutable. That's what the, the word is. God is immutable. He is unchanging. Now, why does God not change? Because God is perfect. See, you and I need to change because we're not perfect. We're in process. And so God, he say, look, I am the same. Yesterday, today, forever, I'm perfect. I don't change. I am immutable. Let's go to verse 7. He says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. In other words, Israel, as I'm talking to you, one generation, you guys, but also it's not just you, every generation of the nation of Israel has been marked by disobedience. You go all the way back to the beginning in Abraham. It's just disobedience after disobedience. Every single generation, you've all turned your back on me. You've all gone your own way. This is, this is what it has been like, if you will, to, to, to lead Israel from God's perspective. Every generation has turned their back. But here's the key. I, I, I love this. God says this. He says, but return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Return to me and I will return to you. This is so important. How many of you, when you were a kid, uh, last service I asked people to raise their hand. I was like the only one. But, so I won't do that again. But how many of you, when you were a kid, like ran away from home for like a silly reason? You, you remember that? Like, okay, thank you, Charles. All right, we got one. So remember that idea of like, like you were there and they wanted you to eat your vegetables and you didn't want to eat your vegetables and two hours later you're still sitting there and then finally in protest you, you packed your pillow and 16 pair of underwear and you like head out, right? You're like, I'm out of here. I'm not going to live under this roof anymore. And you head two doors down, but then you're hungry, so you turn around and you come back. And remember that? So essentially, God is saying here, you're like my kids that keep running away. You're like my kids. You don't want to be under authority, and so you, you continue to just push and walk out the door. This is who you are. And maybe for some of us, just to make this a little more personal, maybe this connects with where you've been or maybe where you're at today. The idea that you look back at your life and it's been marked by running from God. It's been marked by whether it's a season or just a pattern throughout your life of just going your own way and running as fast as you can in the opposite direction. And maybe there's even that feeling of I've run for so long and I've run so far, there's no hope for me. But if I could paraphrase Malachi chapter 3 verse 7, here's how I would paraphrase it. It's this, of God's perspective and God's speaking, saying, yes, you ran. But guess who else ran? I ran. The idea that every time you ran from me, God's saying, I have been running after you. And I never stop. And I never will stop. This picture that we turn our backs from him and God says, look, if, if you will just stop all you have to do is pivot and return to me and repent. And God says, I'm right there because I've been pursuing you all along. You've been running, but so have I. This is a picture of, of who he is. This is a, a picture of grace, isn't it? And you know what else it is? It's a picture of this idea that verse 7, I, I get it. It's about a time in history. And it's about God speaking to a specific group of people but it's also our story. Because just like Israel, with generation of generation of marked disobedience, it's, it's our story too, isn't it? It's one where we too have, in protest, packed our bags, turned our back, walked out the door and said, God, I'm out of here. Not your rules, and if I don't have to, not under your roof. 
But you know what Christmas is? Christmas is a story and the snapshot of how far God has gone to pursue you. That's what it is. It's this picture of of God who loves you so much, who gave of his son, and of the son who left everything of heaven and the throne to be born into a manger in humble circumstances and to live a life we'd never live, to die a death we'd never die, to pay the penalty for our sins. Christmas screams grace. Christmas screams that, that you are loved. And Christmas is this idea, as we see here in Malachi 3, 7, of return to me and I will return to you. See, God is perfect. And he's unchanging. And you know what else he is? He is a God who wants a relationship with you. That's what Christmas is about. We celebrate and we sing. But as we're going to be doing week after week, as we wrap up Malachi and move into celebrating Christmas, it's that reminder of the greatest story that ever could be told. God taking on flesh, born in order to die. He must love you a lot. Relationship. God to the Israelites, calling out to them, I want a relationship with you. To us, I want a relationship with you. But to get there, he's got to talk about a second issue. We talked about relationships. Now we've got to talk about resources. And this one's going to be a little personal. And everything I'm about to say, I am not going to guilt you. None of this has to be, in fact, we already took the offering. So this has been done, right? And there's nothing of that at play here. We're just going to work through these scriptures. Because what we're going to learn is resources, your resources and relationship are directly connected. They're not separate. They're connected. So let's read together what God has to say. We're still in verse 7, Malachi chapter 3. God's speaking. He says, but you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? Here it is, in tithes and offerings. In other words, God's pointing out the Israelites, they were sinning. You say, well, how are they sinning? Well, they were sinning by not giving. They were sinning by by keeping all their resources to to themselves. They were were sinning by disobeying God's command to, to give. And God, interestingly enough, he calls out, he says, you're stealing from me. Now, this is really important because you can't steal something that's already yours, right? And so if you and I have a perspective that what you have, I don't care your stuff, your bank account, I do not care, but what you have is yours, then how could God say that you're stealing from him? Rather, you're just choosing not to give, but it's your stuff. You can choose what you want to do. But God says, importantly, he says, you're stealing from me. You know what that means? That means it's not your stuff. It means it's not your bank account or mine. In fact, here's your next fill in the blank. Here is this idea that everything that you have belongs to God. And if we really get this and live this out, this is a game changer. I mean, if we really absorb it and we really understand everything you have belongs to God. He's the owner. We're the manager. It's all his and we take care of it for a season. So, so this means you drove here this morning in God's car. And when you leave, you'll go home to his house. And the clothes that you wear and the food that you have, which is typically most, you know, when you sit down to eat a meal, home or anywhere else, you pray and you say, God, thank you for this food. Why? Because it's his. And he's given it to you graciously and generously. The people in your lives, this church, everything that is, you have, everything that's around us 
It all belongs to him. And so in this way, we can have this idea where God says, you are stealing from me when you don't give. Let's keep going. Verse 9. God says, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, land, says the Lord Almighty. So so, so God's here says, there's a lot in here, but but the the pinnacle of what he's saying is God says, part of why you're suffering, Israel, is because you're disobeying me. You're you're not giving. You're not managing the resources I provided in a way I've called you to. That's part of why you're suffering, Israel. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But you know what else is interesting about this passage? is that this is the one place, the only place in the entire Bible where God gives you and I permission to test him. Do you know that? Throughout the entire Bible, over and over again, is this message where God says, trust me, trust me. Trust me in the calling. Trust me with your finances. Trust me with your family. Trust me with your kids. Trust me with this. Trust me in all these areas. But this one place, God says, I will let you test me in this one place. That's remarkable, that we have this this opportunity to test him. In other words, this idea where God says, look, I'm giving you a promise. But here's the key. You go first. I go first. The first move is ours. The promise begins when we take the first step. When we take that first step and we say, God, I'm going to trust you with my resources. I'm a manager. You're the owner. I'm going to trust you with it. I'll go first. And we part with our resources. God says, okay, now I can show up. Now I can do something. Now I can move and work in your heart and in your life and even in your finances. Now I can show you how much I want to bless you and provide and take care of you. See, here's the principle. Here it is. God doesn't just give to us. And he does because he's good. He's gracious. But he doesn't just give to us. He gives through us. He doesn't just give to you, he gives through you. This is what he wants to do. He wants to give through you. So what this means is that he gives to you so that he can also give through you. I want to share an illustration, an example. Maybe this has happened to you, maybe not. But imagine you're out and you're with your kids in the minivan. Maybe you're Black Friday shopping um, or hopefully not. But either way, you're with your grandkids. And anyway, you're going through, they're, they're hangry, right? They're hungry, all grouchy. So you pull through the drive-thru, you place the order, you get up to the window, and as you're paying, the food's coming through because it's fast. And so you got the oldest in the front seat, the kid's screaming in the back, and so you're just passing it through. Hey, you pass it back to them, right? And so you're passing the food, you're paying the thing, and then you hear shouts of horror from the back seat because the kid in the front seat who you're passing the food to is like shoveling waffle fries in their mouth, right? And chugging sweet tea. I mean, just in, they're just eating it all for themselves, And the kids in the back are saying, hey, what about that? How do you feel in that moment? You're frustrated, right? You would say something like, hey, that's not for you. That was for them. Can I just say, I think that gives us a little snapshot of God's perspective all the time. Of this picture where God says, look, I gave to you because I want you to have the joy and the opportunity to give to other people, but you've just consumed 
See, sometimes I think we need to Google Earth our fear and that fear grips us. See, your next fill in the blank is this, to try to call this out. Because here's the bottom line is that we don't trust God with our resources, really, because we don't know God in our relationship. See, either we don't know or we forget. And it's so, so easy to forget. For me too. That, that God is generous. That God is gracious. That God has promised. That, that God has said, look, I will meet all of your needs. You, you just need to, to take your hands off, so to speak, and, and just and, and trust me. That this is who God is. That he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He never runs out. God never has to balance his bank account. It's all his. He owns everything. And so what happens is he gives to us, and here's what we do. We grab it and we hang on to it and we close our fists around it. And we say, this is mine. I'm going to hang on to it and hold on to it with all of everything I have. And sometimes, sometimes we go all like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, right? And we start like worshiping it and petting it and like my precious. And we hold on to it and we, and we have this thing over here and we're closing off to what God has provided. But what happens is, is when we do this with God, not like putting our fists in his face, but we, we clench our fists around the stuff that we think we own. Now we can no longer receive anything from God. Our fists are closed. And God, from his perspective, says, look, I've given promises. You're my child. I want to provide for you beyond everything you ask or imagine. And please don't hear prosperity gospel that if you do this and he'll do that and, and it's about getting risked and sowing your seed and all that nonsense. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about where you say, God, I'm going to pry the hands open and say, this is all yours. You own it. I just simply manage it. What do you want me to do with it? And when I open my hands, now I can receive from him. Because the bottom line is this. Please hear this. God doesn't need your money. Right? It's all his. None of this is about what God wants from you. This is about what God wants for you. And he knows better than us that when we give, when we part with our resources, then he can start doing something in our heart that otherwise wouldn't happen. Can I share some examples with you? See, God knows that when you and I start parting with our resources, when we start giving, we're willing to take that first step. And I know there's fear and it's scary and we just kind of do that first time of giving or maybe it's a practice in your life, I don't know. But when we do that, what begins to happen is we begin to uh, address the idolatry that could be taking place in our own heart. I mean, did you realize that? That, that giving fights idolatry, that money can become an idol, can't it? That money can be that thing that becomes so important to us and we rally and we orient everything in our lives around it. That it, what happens is it takes the place of, on the throne of your life, a place reserved only for Jesus. But money takes that place because it's what has your attention the most. But when we part with our resources and we give, what begins to happen is we begin to fight the idol, the idol that's there. You know what else it does? When we give, um, it reminds us that everything we have belongs to him. What, what it does is it, it puts us in a position in our lives where we have to trust God to provide the rest. That we have to say, God, you've provided this and I'm giving a portion over here and so there's a gap and I recognize that and God, I cannot wait to see how you meet those needs. I can't wait to see how you show up and provide in a special way. When we give, it helps us to become more like Jesus, who was generous, 
who was so generous, who gave his life for us. We, we, we grow spiritually when we give. When we give, we get, and God knows this, we experience joy, don't we? It is fun to be able to give. It is fun to be able to take from God and say, okay, here it is, waffle fries and sweet tea. I'm just passing it back. And it is such a joy to be able to share with other people from our time, talent, and treasure, including our treasure. And God knows this. And you know what else giving does? Giving gives you and I a chance to impact lives. It gives us a chance to see his kingdom advance. And that's a good thing. See, God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. So let me ask you this morning as we begin to wrap up. How are you doing as a manager? And I'm going to say it this way because it was in Malachi. Are you robbing God? Now, to help us kind of assess this here, I want to give a test. Because typically, when it comes to this area of giving, which, I'm going to mention this too, is usually the last thing that we surrender to Jesus. We'll come to Christ in proclamation before we'll surrender our wallets. Usually, it's last. And I get it. It's scary. But typically, we go through stages of giving. And sometimes we get stuck, but that's okay. Let me just walk through these real quick. Stage number one, and this is where all of us begin, is I don't give. I don't give. Stage number two, when a person moves out of that, they move into what oftentimes is called a tipper, like you would tip at a restaurant. And this is the idea where somebody just gets it started. And so they throw a 20 in once, and three months later, maybe they'll throw in a 10 over here, and a 5 over there, and a 6 over there, whatever. It doesn't matter. And so they're beginning to try it out. They're dipping their toe into it. But this is kind of that idea of, of tipping God, if you will. After a while, you can move and mature out of that and move into what is often called a regular giver. And a regular giver is when an individual or couple or family says, look, we've decided that we're going to give regularly, and so we're going to do it weekly or monthly or biweekly or whatever the case is, but they make a decision and a commitment. We are going to build a habit into our lives, and we're going to make this a regular thing in our lives. That's a regular giver. Number four is a proportional giver. And what this is, a stage, is where, again, a person or a couple or a family says, we're going to proportionally give, which is what is New Testament giving. That's what's talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where you take a percentage of the means that you have. Because not everybody in this room has the same income or means. And so we are to give out of our means or our income. And so we establish and we pray and we ask God, God, what do you want me to give? And we give a proportion of our means, our income, back to God. And then finally, stage five is I'm a generous giver. This is a person who goes above and beyond even what regular and proportional giving they may have set up. And so these are the stages that we typically go through. So let me ask you this morning, which stage are you in? One, two, three, four, five? Where are you at this morning? And it's really important, I think, to just identify where you're at because you don't know how to make growth in this area if you don't know where you're starting. So where are you at? I want to get real personal for a moment and talk about us as a church. Just as one of your pastors, and every time, and we don't talk about money too often, but every time we do, I say the same thing, and I'll continue to say the same thing, that one of my prayers for us as a church is that we get to a place where we are 100% of New Hope families, not just members, but families give at this church. I don't care if you give two bucks, five bucks. I, I do not care the amount. But that 100% of New Hope families participate in giving. Now, now, why do I care about that? Why is that a prayer for me and something as one of your pastors I care about? Because I know that when you're giving, that there is a good chance that you're growing. Because resources and relationship are connected. And I want that for you. I want you to grow spiritually. I want you to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus. I want all of that for you. 
And so I want to share just some stats here that I think you might find interesting. And, and look, this is not a beatdown. This is actually a celebration because I want to tell you this morning, New Hope, there's growth going on here. There's some really good things happening, and I'm just so thankful for each of you. Here's what's going on. We have 166 households that have given so far this year. Now, I don't know if that feels like a big number or a small number, but on the percentage of the number of families at New Hope versus those that are giving, we're on the higher end of the spectrum for other churches. What I'm trying to say is, in a very clumsy way, is that more families give at New Hope than typically in churches. Typically, churches are closer to 40% of families, 50% of families, and we're above that. Great job. And that's exciting. I don't know if you remember back in August, the last time we mentioned money and talked about it, and I talked about it, and I gave the challenge. I said, look, new hope starts somewhere. If you're, if you're not giving, just do something and just get started in this area. And you responded. Check that out. 33 households started giving since September 1st. That's incredible. Like, I think that's exciting. So I'm going to applaud because I think that's cool. So if nobody wants to applaud with me, that's fine. Because you know what that means? That means 33 more families are experiencing God's goodness and grace and generosity in their lives. And those households have contributed that much toward giving in 2019. Next slide. A few more, a few more stats. Of the households that have given in both 2018 and 2019, there's many, many, many of these households, there is actually an increase in giving. So not only are we having more people that are giving, we also have those that are giving have said, you know what, we can do more. And so 12.5% increase in giving year over year from those that have given in 2018 and 2019. That's exciting. That's a really good thing. One more stat. This is the one area that I want our percents to go down. The top 20 giving households in 2018 and even years past, not only in 2018, but even several years behind, they contributed 49% of all giving. You know what that means? That means that 20 families floated this church, basically. In 2019, the number is down to 47.7 and continuing to drop. You know what that means? That means more of us are jumping on the wagon. That means more of us are pulling our way. That means more of us are engaged and are involved. It's not good to have 20 families pull half the church. But to have more and more people say, you know what, I want to be a part of this. I don't care if it's a dollar or ten. I do not care the amount. But to say, count me in. I want to invest. I want to do what God's called me to do. This is my family, and I see God working here, and I want to invest in this. That's what we have going on. So this morning, again, just as one of your pastors, good job. We're growing. We're, we're getting more healthy. And look, it's a process, right? I mean, we're all going to continue to grow in this area. I'm growing in this area. But I just see some really wonderful things happening. So great job, New Hope, with that. So I want to close with this. I just want to close with a challenge. An encouragement. And the band, you can come up if you would, too, please. And here's, here's the encouragement with the challenge. The challenge is, wherever you're at, whatever stage you're at, would you, this morning, make the commitment to take the next step? So if you're this morning, you're somebody that you don't give, that's okay, that's where you're at. Would you say, I'm going to dip my toe in with fear and trembling, and I'm going to say, God, I'm going to trust you in this. And if you have to, God, I'm going to test you and start. Start somewhere with something. And if, you've, if you're tipping God, I want to prayerfully ask you to encourage you, would you become maybe a regular giver and on and on, just for you to decide where you're at. And if you're wondering this morning, like, well, how much am I supposed to give? Like, am I supposed to tithe? Am I supposed to do that? Here's your answer. Ask him. Just ask him. He's the owner. You're the manager. It's between you and him. You know, in the Old Testament, they talked about a tithe, 10%. 
But you know, the Jewish people, they had temple taxes and they had all kinds of things on top of that. They gave closer to 23 to 25% of their income went to God. We get to the New Testament and it changes. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 talk about it. It's cheerful giving, proportional giving, but it's all up to him. And so go before him and say, God, what do you want me to do? God, who do you want me to support? God, how much do you want me to give? And, and allow him to lead you. He's the owner. You and I, we are the managers. Because here's what it is. The resources in your, in your relationship with God, the resources you have in the relationship with God, they're connected. How you view and value your money really gives insight to how you view and value your God. They're connected every time. And what I've observed in years of ministry is this, is that when a person says, you know what, I want to I I grow in my relationship with God, and so God, I'm going to do things your way, and I want to obey you in all areas, what tends to happen is their finances get straightened out. That's what happens. And for those who say, God, in the area of my finances, I want to trust you with this, what tends to happen is their relationship with God, they begin to grow. Because again, relationship and resources, it's all connected. Would you join me? We're going to pray together as we close here this morning. And, and what I want to do this morning is, is I want to give you a chance, just you and God, just for you to talk to him. Maybe there's some things that you want to talk with him about, some, some, some areas that you want to do business with him. I don't think it ends here. I think this is a conversation I hope you have around the dinner table, in the living room. Maybe you call your own family meeting to say, what are we going to do about this? And where are we at? Let's go before God, and then I'll close this in a moment. Father, this, this holiday season, as we begin to enter into it, we recognize that the two things that can keep us so distracted, keep our, our focus from you, our relationships and resources. And I pray that rather than worrying about these things, that we would turn them into worship, that we would come before you and say, God, I want to grow in my relationship with you. And God, I want to honor you with my resources. And I recognize this morning that for a lot of us, that, rep that represents a lot of fear. But Lord, help us to take in obedience that first step. Help us to trust in you. Help us to, to, to say, God, you've made a promise and you always come through on your promises. And so I go first. And help us to begin a new journey and to grow in this journey of giving. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together for one more song.